we know that connection with others is so important for our brain function and our neuroplasticity and our joy and our happiness. And, you know, connecting with others is really where it's at in the second half of life and authentically connecting. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of women just want to be in a space of authentically connecting with others. Hey, 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 it's Christine Marie Mason, your host for the Rose Woman podcast. Rose for me isn't just a flower, just a blossoming. It's about rising and expanding and blooming, like an emergent sense of our true selves. The subtitle for the pod was From Taboo to Liberation, like a state change, being able to question the things that have been planted in our brains that aren't so helpful. But we're changing the subtitle now to Love and Liberation, which seems to be more accurate for the kind of material we've been covering. I have a lot of scientists that come on the podcast and researchers and writers and people who are experts in their field. And I'm very interested in neurobiology in sort of how the meat bag of the human body with all of its component parts and signaling effects impacts our direct experience. So since we know we're more than the body and the brain, we don't necessarily take our full identity from those things. We want to make sure that they're working optimally so they're not a distraction from living our life in as much power and peace and pleasure as we can. So uh, this is the first time I'm having a repeat guest. You might have heard Dr. Luann Brizendine talk with me before on The Female Brain, her other book, but she has a book that just came out called The Upgrade, and it's very exciting research on the second half of life and the female brain. Not only does it talk about expecting postmenopausally to be more steady in your moods and thinking, but it also really gives you some great ideas around how to optimize exercise, nutrition, and other things. And in this episode, we talk about those things. We also talk about alcohol, why wine o'clock is a little bit of a devastation for the female brain. We talk about mantra and sound healing and a lot of other things. Um, It's only a 30-minute show, Uh, So I went and heard her do a little book talk in in Northern California last week, and she has so much more to add. So I would highly recommend you get the book, all about reading now and sharing ideas. So you can get the book and you can come and join the Rose Woman community in Facebook. There's a couple thousand women in there and talk about it. You know, what are you learning? Comment on what other people are learning. So the upgrade, Dr. Luann Brizendine. So let's get into it, shall we? about this book. It's been in the works for quite a while, yeah? Yeah, it's been about a four-year project, actually, because, you know, whatever, it started it before the uh, the COVID epidemic started and then and kind of finished it during that. But it was so it was kind of very interesting to have much more time for introspection. And I think like all of us, it was time to um, get to know yourself all over again a bit better, which is actually a big theme in this book, which is about, you know, a lot of uh, little brain science, but lots and lots of women's stories. It's mostly made up of, of women's stories, both from my clinic and lots of my own stories about going through the transition and into the upgrade. So I kind of changed the language up because I think that the words, the words menopause and perimenopause are kind of like old fashioned words and they're very medicalized words. They're not, they're not about really uh, what's happening to us psychologically through this time. So, you know, the transition is those years where our, our cycle, the ups and downs of, you know, the cycle is sort of kind of coming, it's glitching a little, it's coming to an end, it's on and off. And, you know, some days are better than others. And some days are like, 
oh God, how long is this going to go on? You know, until we get to the upgrade where your where your hormones are kind of leveled out and you're really able to focus better and to just kind of recharge your batteries and be become your best self, you know, like all of us would like to be and decide who you want to be in the next half of your life. So you make some pretty big promises with this. I, I think it says new power, bracing clarity, laser-like sense of purpose, post-menopause. So can you speak to sort of what's driving that? Is that is that hormonal? Hormones are often the foundation of a lot of what we do, Christine. If you remember what the purpose, the purpose of a hormone is to cause a behavior. For example, you know, our hunger hormones, they make us want to eat. You know, our sex hormones make us want to have sex. And our up and down estrogen gives us incredible like clarity for two or three days before our period starts, you know, I mean, before the ovulation happens and you go to the second half of the cycle. So that there's little, we, we're, we're, as women, we're familiar with like those two or three days before ovulation when we're feeling a little bit more flirty, sexy, more verbal. I always tell my graduate students, do your oral exams on, schedule them two days before your ovulation, you know, like on day 12 or 13 of your cycle. And then the end of our period, remember, is like a lot of us have the the rock and roll of PMS. So we're used to being influenced by our hormones as women. And by the time we get through to the perimenopause and the menopause, by the time we get to this, what I call the transition and into the upgrade, we're not being driven by that wave of hormones that are making us have certain behaviors or certain feelings or certain emotions. We are able to be more focused. Our brains are able to be more focused, more clear, um, and more able to really plan for, for what we're going to feel like rather than having the rolling up and down of the hormones of the menstrual cycle. So it's, it's very good news. Are we becoming more like men then? Well, maybe in some ways, you know, because their hormones are a little bit more level, although they, remember they have testosterone surges that we don't have. So they can have, um, you know, they can go from zero to 60 fast. They can, you know, they have a, they're, 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 they're driven by testosterone all of their life. So really they're, no, it's not, it's not so much like becoming more like men. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering, you know, please don't play yeah. into that trope. Wait a minute. Are we going to be more linear and more boxed in and like more steady state? Because I, I find that's interesting on the testosterone spiking is, is similar to the estrogen spiking. Okay. You, but, but in this book, you're documenting these changes and you're also saying that you can work with them to sort of build a lifestyle to optimize around your neurochemistry or your brain changes. It seems to be a much more holistic book than just a neuroscience book. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to know any science to read this book. But basically, remember, though, biology is destiny unless you know what it's doing to you. I like that. Can we say that again? Biology is destiny unless you know what it's doing to you. And then if you know what it's doing to you, you can intervene. Is that is that the plan? Yeah, because you can be informed, you know, and you can you can basically, you can you can plan around it. You can plan with it. You can kind of re realize what it is and go with it. You could th you realize that your hormone fluctuations and your hormone changes are not you. It's not the real core you. They are something that's like happening to you, like the waves of hunger hormones or the waves of your sleep hormones. It's really important to know that. But it's also things like leg strength correlates with a healthy brain at age 80. I mean, you're putting things in here that would not seem to be causative at all, but they end up being at least correlative. So what's your prescription on that? 
So, you know, what I did with this book is I reviewed all of the research studies and literature that have been that have been done, you know, over the last 20 years on women as we're going through the, the you know, the midlife and beyond. And one of the big studies that popped out to me is that so they, they looked at women of age 80 and looked at their cognitive scores. And they found that the ones who had the highest cognitive scores at age 80 also had the strongest leg strength. So their quads, their actual leg strength was correlated, the number one thing correlated with their cognitive ability at 80. That makes me think of a bunch of 80-year-olds with speed skater legs, you know, in superhero suits walking around, but it's not that kind of quad strength, right? It's Explain to me what what it means. So it's very important to understand this piece because of you know all the literature and research studies I read and review in this book is that that your muscle strength, not just your leg strength, but that was a it's you know I, I wanted to go I wanted to stick with the data the data that's very clear and the research studies that are really clear are what I report in this book on. That means that. At age 80, basically, if at age any age in your midlife and beyond, that you want to keep your brain strong, your muscle strength is really important. So what does that mean? That means you have to keep moving. You don't have to be a speed skater. You don't have to be a power lifter. I mean, the probably that probably people that were athletic in their younger life, if they keep active, they have a big advantage. And so but that's a good news for all of us because they also found in another study that starting at any age, starting at any age, that within nine to 10 weeks of starting a just moderate kind of weightlifting and walking routine, those people's cognitive scores went up. So neuroplasticity is correlated to just simple changes like that. It's not even... You, you can recover even if you've neglected it. There's, it's not too late to start. It's never too late to start, which was so amazing. I mean, they even had some people in their 90s in some of these studies that just had st- hadn't been doing much at all. And they also improved with, within about like six to 12 weeks of starting their program. It's just very, very important to pay attention to our muscles all through our body, which just basically means you must keep active in a program doesn't have to be like going to the gym at six in the morning every day and like sweating till you drop it for an hour off on the you know elliptical. It doesn't mean that. It just means something that's consistent. When I have patients come to the clinic, Christine, I say, look, let's just start really simple for people that aren't, haven't been doing much. I said, let's start really simply. Let's have you go outside of your house. And I just want you every day to take a 20 minute walk around the block for the next week and then report back to me how it's gone. So it can be starting that simply, you know, because so start where you are. Don't increase too quickly because the the biggest, don't, you don't want injuries, you know, you know, you probably know it's like you can go gun ho you can go out there and be a weekend warrior and you can end up in, in you know, the emergency room with a, with a broken this or that. Just, but do it gradually. And the, the big, the big key is consistency, right? It's so surprising to me that all the studies show that to keep neuroplasticity, to keep your brain active and functioning at its best as we go through the second half of life, that it's actually your muscle strength and your activity level, movement, movement, movement 
is really important. That may be for a few reasons, not just your muscles, but there's, you know, that little area in the back of the brain, it looks like, I call them, it looks like two testicles on the back of the brain. They're called the cerebellum. <laughs> there's two little, little like, they call it the little brain in the back of the brain. They call it the sports brain. Have you ever heard it called the sports brain? The, the cerebellum keeps your, is a thing in your brain that keeps your balance, but it also keeps your muscles working together and helps them communicate with the rest of the brain. So it, w- it would be the thing like if you if you looked at a crack in your floor along the where the two boards come together on your floor and you were to kind of walk it like the balance beam a little bit, that ability or trying to do that is aided by that little area in your brain called the cerebellum or the balance section of your brain. So these things all work together in ways that are really, it's really good to know what they're doing to you and how to use them to to be your best and keep your brain power. So it's not just blood flow and oxygenation and stuff like that. It's actually activating different parts of the brain that help coordination and balance and keeping keeping that part of your brain online and working. Absolutely. And I think that's what people don't understand is that they think, you know, that this, the study about age 80 and leg strength being correlated with your brain power at age 80. It's not just the muscle strength, although it makes it look like it is. It's not the blood flow necessarily, but it's actual true stimulation of the brain by those muscles and those parts of your body. So activity and and doing a lot of different things, which kind of gets us to, that's the way the body movement informs the brain. But you're also talking about the brain informing the brain with mindset. What did you learn about how to use your thoughts to support your brain? So there's a really fascinating study. I think that's what you might be relating to, Christine, in the book. You know how a lot of us have that? I call it, I call it the hamster wheel of worry, where you're worrying about something and it's just going round and round and round in your brain. It's kind of like, so they've now discovered in the brain scanner that there's these two brain areas that get into what's called kind of a mag lock. They're kind of locked in together and it's kind of your worry center. And that there are ways in which you can release that lock by by having certain type of mindset. You can do it through mindful meditation. There's all kinds of different ways that the studies show that you can kind of release that kind of hamster wheel maglock of the worry cycle in your brain by basically finding um, specific things. It, they're usually very personal little stories that you can tell yourself or personal stories that are going to make you feel like I call it that there's a nurturing moment. There's one of the things I teach in the book. So what you do is you re- imagine some time in your life where you felt either very nurtured by it could be a parent or you the, the nurturing feeling you get with a beloved pet or a child, you know, or a partner, some, some just moment that's a snippet that comes back to you. And you hold that snippet in your mind and you then spend some time thinking about what the sounds and colors were and kind of feel, the, feel into the feelings of like even like you know, what time of day it is, what the furniture looked like. Just you build out that scene in your mind in a very visual way, and that will become your nurturing moment meditation for yourself. So you can do that. Um, a lot of people start their day out with that, maybe before they take their shower, just for a couple of minutes. It will help release that kind of maglock of worry in your brain. So you can learn these techniques to help yourself become actually happier. Do you have a place like that that you go to? What's what's your personal nurturing moment? So my personal nurturing moment when I learned to do this, you know, they, all of a sudden I got this image of myself at about maybe 
I don't know, maybe three or so, sitting on my dad's lap reading this big book called The Animal Book. You know, that your big pages where you turn and you see the different animals and you talk about them. And then my mother was sitting there, of course, taking a picture of me sitting on my dad's lap. So they were both there with me, you know, being in that that moment of, of caring for me and loving that I was there reading, just being in that moment of feeling into the nurturing of that moment. So that was my moment. Everybody has their own. And even if there are people in your life, like I had a lot of trouble in my life with my dad, who was a very, he's no longer with us, so I can say this out loud, but he, you know, he was, he could go from zero to 60 fast and full of, you know, in terms of anger or being, you know, so it doesn't have to be somebody that you have like the most beautiful relationship with all your life, but just get a snippet of one of those things. Some people get it from a special tree that they liked out in nature or someplace in nature that they that they love to go, just so that you get the snippet and you can you can build out the visualization of that. I had another patient who thought about when his parents were divorcing, his nanny was so important to him and was just able to be there for him and call him her best boy. It just, you know, some of the things she said to him in this little like moment where none of the other children wanted to play with him because his parents were divorcing or some, you know, he just remembered and was able to build out the visual and the feeling of that, that nurturing moment. Any other suggestions for releasing the worry maglock? One of the important things is is whatever you can find to do that, but it also includes make sure self-care, right? Self-care, self-care, self-care. So I think exercise also helps people get into a different different mindset. Often going to sometimes an exercise class or something so that you're with other people and you're hearing music. Music can also help that. So find what it is that speaks to you or going for your walk in nature, going for whatever whatever place you 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 like to go for that. So I think it's they could be listening to Christine's podcast. <laughs> Depending on the topic, last week I did one where someone was railing about Facebook discriminating against women's health, and then the podcast wouldn't relax you. Uh, this morning, I did read, I was reading the MIT Technology Review, and there's a new term called digital resting places, so that when you're scrolling through your feed, it's like doom scrolling. You find a beautiful picture or something that's truly inspirational, and your soul can come to rest for a moment. And then I decided that I just wanted to be that for people. It's going to be a digital resting place. I'm going to be a human nurturing moment. There you go. That is anyway. so important. Why not? But it's like we find those for ourselves. And, you know, I find that sometimes I can listen to different meditation podcasts and things. Or, you know, I often listen to something. I can go, you can go onto YouTube and get any of them. I kind of sometimes listen to Tara Brox. She gives a free kind of meditation on Wednesday uh, nights or whatever. You know, just whatever you can find that has got that space for you that with the Nice thing about making it a personal nurturing moment that's personal to you is that you can reach for that at any time where you're just kind of spinning out. Yeah, I love that idea. And of course, you know, meditation is my favorite thing. I've been working with mantra a lot, which kind of combines the things you're saying, the music in a class situation or listening to music or meditation. And with mantra, there's a little spot here that's like right below the brain and right at the top of where you're breathing cavities uh, come together, the bindi point. And so when you're making a sound like in Aum, mm -hmm. you know, you'll go to a class and they'll go like Aum and they'll end it with the M, mm, with, but the lips are closed. But if you end it, change the sound and you go up like Aum, you let you oh, keep the mouth open, the lips separated, and then you let it vibrate all the way up here. 
the sound echoes and it turns into more of a ying sound, ying. It shakes the brain and it does a totally different calming effect on the overall nervous system. So I would say mantra with the traditional vibratory B sound is another method of getting out of the worry lock. Like it's, it's, Mm. I can't even do it now. Yes, no, but, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. what you're saying because it's it's actually so we were talking about how the muscles stimulate the brain, but that that kind of sound, the sound healing through the all the cavity, you know, our skull is full of all these little air pockets like in our in our maxillary sinuses and in our ethmoid sinuses, which is right above the nose and into that area that you're calling the Vinji spot right there. There's all these little areas where there's like, you know, air pockets throughout our bones in our whole body, but in the skull especially. And those will send vibrations back to the brain. The brain picks that all up. So the mantra technique also works just beautifully. So that's that's a great another one to kind of wait. There's brain science behind my mantra practice. Yes. I want to do yes. a whole nother, a whole nother segment <laughs> on this. <laughs> yes. Okay. So lately, one of the big buzzwords in human health has been around our microbiome. And I've generally thought of that as uh, you know, not having gas or being able to digest my nutrients well. But you bring up the microbiome in the context of brain health. Oh, yeah, it's really important. And I think we haven't, we've just scratching the surface because the research is out there and happening, but it really hasn't come up with a lot of conclusions yet, other than we do know that having um, a quote unquote healthy microbiome st stabilizes all of the lining, the miles and miles of lining through your gut, of keeping out keeping out things that will go seep into your body, causing inflammation. So, as you, as you probably have known from reading, the lot of the way to keep yourself in a, in a healthy state as we all age is to keep your inflammation down. So the microbiome, a healthy one, helps us not get inflammatory products that get absorbed into our body, other inflammation. So that's just at the very basic level. And then there's many other layers to the microbiome and the brain that are being discovered, even that some, some of the causes of things like Parkinson's and other neurodegenerative diseases come maybe maybe into our body through the gut. And a healthy microbiome can help be a blanket of protection for us. So anyway, I think stay tuned on that one. That one, Christine, is a really, really important area. It's, it's something that's a little bit actionable because we can eat differently to try to shift our microbiome. You know, if you're, if you're eating kind of a lot of probiotics or healthy fibers, I mean, the, the, the gut loves healthy, healthy fibers. Just that's such an important thing. And that's pretty easy to get more of those into your diet easily and quickly. More legumes and more fibers. Yeah, the gut does not love sugar or alcohol. Yeah, alcohol. Well, I mean, it loves it. My taste buds love it, but my body does not love it. I think like, I call sugar my heroin. I swear to God. I just like, if I eat a little bit of sugar, I just want more. It's just not satisfying. I just want more. Well, <laughs> sugar. But it is, it is truly for like the menopausal brain. It is kind of a demon. It's a demon along with surprise, surprise alcohol. And that's that's something like, you know, I, I also um, specialize in sleep during the transition as well. And so a lot of, lot of us have trouble during the transition uh, with sleep. There's three big culprits for the sleep, that you have too much caffeine in your diet. And I mean, so I take women who have really got some sleep problems and you know, if they come in really motivated, then we go, we go for, we go for broke, Christine, and we take out dark chocolate, we take out the caffeine out of the diet, and we're just going to go for that for a month. A lot of people have a hard time with that because it's such a part of their like, 
you know, all of our lives, you get that zap in the morning and it gives you a pleasure. We live in the mornings of our life on caffeine. So, but if you can cut it down by half and not take any caffeine afternoon, if you're really having sleep problems, that's number one. Number two is the alcohol issue because alcohol is actually very injurious to your brain and even into you know, it's not great for breast or breast cancer either. It's got a lot of correlations with all kinds of cancers, especially as we get older. So the ca- what happens with um, alcohol? If you take alcohol after 6 p.m., still in your system, maybe when you're going to sleep, then your brain, you may go to sleep easier with a little alcohol, but it makes you all of a sudden wake up two hours later. So if you're one of those people who's having a couple glasses of wine and you're finding yourself going to sleep easily, but waking up two hours later, not able to go back to sleep, that may be alcohol as the culprit. So you may want to take a look at reducing that. Or I'd have my women just, let's have your, have one, if you're going to have, have one glass of wine with your dinner at six o'clock, and then that's it for the alcohol. And the third thing is um, having enough bright light in the morning. So going for your walk in the morning in, with, with bright light. And in the wintertime, I have people just buy one of those. They're not that expensive. You can get a, um, for 50 bucks, you can get what's called uh, full spectrum lights. I just put one right by my computer in the winter and have the full spectrum light. So having light, trigger, light morning light trigger your brain, having reduced caffeine and reduced alcohol will can fix at least half of women can get a really big response for um, their sleep. Uh, Thank you for those tips. The, you know, there's so many women that have been entrained in like the wine o'clock idea, or like, I just need wine. And it's really a crutch for living with the worry lock for so many of us. I have a someone close to me, who a few years ago, decided to stop drinking completely. And his teetotaling really was contagious. And we went to a big event this weekend, and people were smashed. They were like leg wrestling in the lobby smashed. As a sober person, it was so difficult to connect with people. You know, like you you can only really have a real meaningful connection for the first hour and a half, and then everybody's sort of gone. They're in the sauce. And so I was thinking about like how much of the things that actually nurture us and reduce our worry, bonding with others, meaningful connection, true joy, being heard, that the alcohol blocks that almost completely. You you can't even get to connection. Exactly. So, you know, we know that connection with others is so important for our brain function and our neuroplasticity and our joy and our happiness. And, you know, connecting with others is really where it's at in the second half of life and authentic, authentically connecting. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of women just want to, that's where they want to be. They want to be in a space of authentically connecting with others. And when you're smashed, you can't really do that. Or if you're at a party where everybody else is and you're not, you know, that we might as well just go home if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think we found the sober corner and did our own dances. We're not nearly as expressive as the demand, <laughs> as the dances of the saucy crowd, so to speak. But but uh, the wine o'clock thing is something that I feel women are really entrained into and that you have to make a conscious choice to step out of it. Absolutely. And it's so bad for your brain. I think if you knew what it did to your brain and you care about your brain, it's, it's one of those things that's definitely a downer. Yeah, I think we were talking about this before, but the new research on what is alcoholism says it's an opioid addiction, that it basically store alcohol stores in your brainstem, and then it builds up a tolerance to the point where when you're really an alcoholic and you take one drink, it releases the whole opioid response and you are drunk 
with even even a couple of sips of alcohol because it's triggered this this buildup of the opioid in the brainstem. Yeah, dopamine. It gives you a dopamine rush and stuff. So it's a true it's a true addiction. So when you were doing this book, because it's building on your other groundbreaking book, what surprised you the most? So, you know, when I wrote The Female Brain, I was taking it from the very moment of conception and how the brain gets built built in the fetal life up through childhood and into adolescence and through puberty, you know, taking the and going into the fertility years and the mommy brain and postpartum years. What really, really was interesting to me, I think one of the things that really popped out to me, Christine, is um, a whole area of study called the positivity effect which is surprising research data that shows each decade of our life, we get happier and happier. They stopped studying the group, I think, up, it went up until the mid-90s. So each decade of your life, you get happier and happier. How do they measure happiness? The same for all different decades. It's basically how much joy is there in your life and how much negativity is in your life. So basically, the increased increased joy and happiness and, and decreased negativity. So it's like an index of self-reported. Yeah, so they have a yeah they have a very basically just a standard happiness unhappiness index. So that was sort of a surprise, and it's been replicated over and over again. And you know, it's a study out of Stanford that's been going on, and they've been doing a study in that category, positivity effect for probably about the last thirty or forty years. So it's very you know robust scientific data that was surprising to me, but it's also was very surprising to the researchers too, because it's you know that's counter to our cultural view that like it's just all downhill after 50 except it's not the good news is that's why i called it the upgrade is the good news is we get an upgrade the upgrade happens after we're 50 and it just keeps getting better and better what's your thesis on the why well i mean one of the things that happens for women at that time is the transition of the cycle of the hormones you know just goes away and all of those you know a lot of our responsibilities for our parenting are decreasing a lot of our responsibilities for caretaking little children are you know decreasing so there's a lots of you know actual real kind of social things that are going on for us at that stage and i we're not as women one of the things our hormone drives us to as we're, when we're younger women is we're driven to be, you know, attractive and do the come hither thing with men. You know, we want we want to basically our biology is telling us to attract a mate for the sperm, right? We're wanting, you know, we're procreation, right? We're ready to, we're, our, our hormones are telling us it's time to procreate. But then after you go through the transition, that's no longer an issue. And so you're not just a whole section of your brain. It's not about reproduction anymore. You have all that space for yourself to become who you really are and to take on you know new things you've been waiting to do for your whole your whole life as a woman finding out who you want to be who you want to be and being it you know i want to be me now with a 20 year old butt <laughs> oh the butt squeezes get the butt squeezes yes yeah i'm going to like do that now okay i think it's very it's very encouraging i we've we've been talking about that among our community and customer base like how much more uh, yourself you feel. And suddenly the six extra hours a day that you spent taking care of children are available to you to fill with whatever you desire. And if you've done some self-development work, you have more response capacity than you might have as a young person. So all of those things add up. Usually you have a little bit more money in the bank unless you know, you've been a victim of one of these massive economic cycles. So there's more security. 
And uh, I think that all does add up to a general sense of comfort, being more comfortable. Absolutely. And it's, but it's also some more safety. Remember the, the brain loves the brain, the brain can be creative, expansive, and being open and more compassionate for others. You know, as, as we feel more safe and we can be more compassionate for ourselves. I think when you think about developing compassion and, you know, it's being more, being more compassionate also for yourself, because if you can do that, then you can also be more compassionate for others. I love that. Well, to more compassion, is there anything else that you'd like to tell people about the new book? Yeah, well, since I wrote The Female Brain, a lot has happened. You know, I had to wait till I got to another stage of my life to be able to write the upgrade. And just, I think, discovering for yourself. It's a book of dis- self-discovery as you work through the book. You know, it's it's all about, you know, becoming your best self. It's also about going through that transition stage of your hormones dying down so that it gives you just an idea of what it's like when we kind of cross over into the upgrade. We can then reach back to our younger sisters and help them through it too. Lots of women in their late 30s, you know, kind of that transition stage starts in your late 30s, maybe 38, 39, then really gets going at about age 42. And so about 42, kind of the transition stage starts. And you go middle and early late transition up to the early part of the upgrade, which is often for women in their late late 40s, early 50s, and coming into the middle and the and the full upgrade. So I talk about how, how coming into the full upgrade. So, you know, I think if you want to find out more about where you are on that process, at any rate, jump in and see um, what it's got for you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I wish you the best of success on the launch of this book. Thank you for all that you've done to help women understand their brains and their embodiment and to help us be happier. Thanks, Christine. And that's the main message of the book is that there's all kinds of ways in knowledge of ourself, getting neuroplasticity, getting the brain involved to help us find more joy in our life and, and be happier. And we can also then spread the happiness around to others, which is going to feed back on us and make us even happier. So it's, it's that process of being there for yourself and also being there for others. Well, thank you so much for joining me and Dr. Luann Brizendine for this episode of the Rose Woman podcast, Love and Liberation. You can get her book, The Upgrade, where all books are sold. You can join our Facebook community, The Rose Woman Community, and talk about it with other people. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram at the.rose.woman, and you can find my company, which makes gorgeous intimate care products, body oil products, lifestyle support at rosebudwoman or rosewoman.com. Thank you. I hope you find an upgrade in your life and take care of the beautiful being that you are, mind, body, and spirit. Have a great day. Mm